0: Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, you know, I bet the Germans have a word for that. I'm Nick Outen of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, who has been gorging himself on taramasala, 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 right, Listeners, I'm afraid I have to uh, stop the intro for a moment and point out that for the last three weeks, Simon has been attempting to uh, trip me up with the most complex sentences and I think he's finally bested me. Uh, how do I say this word?
1: <laughs> aramasolata I, 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 I'm not doing it with a Greek accent. I, I don't want to offend anyone but I think Taramasalata. That's how I've been calling it my whole life anyway. If you
0: wanted any clearer indicator of the different the different social strata that that <laughs> I and Simon represent, then the word Taramasalata <laughs> would be that clear indicator. Anyway, back to the intro. I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, who has been gorging himself on taramasalata. So Simon, why the sudden shift to Greek cod roe paste? What the hell is Greek cod roe paste? And That's the first time I've
1: read that sentence in my entire life.
0: Right, explain this madness to me and the audience. Yeah,
1: so taramasalata, for those who don't know, is um, yeah, it's a paste put together with cod roe, uh, so cod eggs. Oh, it's so grim oh no it's, it's delicious mate and i think it's ballasted with some potato uh, to give it a bit more sort of structure it's, it's part of a normal meze platter uh, a meze teller so yeah a bit of hummus a bit of taramasalata that's uh, what you can expect in a decent greek restaurant i guess and
0: you've been eating industrial quantities of this i'm assuming
1: they only sell very small jars luckily um i mean this you're absolutely right this does represent my upbringing Uh, And this is so painfully middle class. It is now, (laughs) I'm I'm now a little bit embarrassed that you pointed it out. (laughs) Sorry. My father, uh, no worries. My father was always, uh, he always had quite expensive taste. We lived rent free because of my parents' work. And so there was always quite a bit of cash uh, to spend on like luxury goods. Like fragua wasn't unusual in my house and Taramasalata I guess is in that realm but it's something you could buy at Tesco's and any English supermarket you'd find it in sort of the the deli uh, section, they always have it. Isn't it interesting though that, that there's a class element to this Greek food in Britain
0: and in Germany that it's just the food you get when you go to a Greek restaurant which are, seem to be more popular in Germany than in England.
1: Well I mean yeah, it, it does seem that there's a lot more Greek migration to Germany. I can't think of that many greek restaurants growing up in in england it wasn't really i said
0: one or two one or two but like it's not it's not the case that you have such a wide selection as you do in a lot of places certainly in the south of germany
1: yeah i think here in Nuremberg, i could think i could i could walk to five greek restaurants and in my hometown guildford I, I can't think of one. Um, I'm sure there is one somewhere, but it's just not as popular a choice, I guess. And so, yeah, I went and did my big shop this week, took the car and went to a big edica and found a little, little glass jar of taramasalata and my eyes lit up. And since then, I've now I'm halfway through my second one, and the wife bought me a third. Uh, so I am deep, deep, deep in trouble because this stuff is forty percent fat.
0: It sounds like my
1: kind of food.
0: <laughs> Greek food again. It's like, like I said, it's not something that I was particularly well versed on when I when I lived in the UK. But it's it is it has become more of a staple. I've been to a few weddings where. Where Greek restaurants have catered that and like like Balkan food is a as well you know it's like these sort of foods that you don't really come across in the UK for obvious reasons the same reason why you, there's only two Indian restaurants in Augsburg whereas there's like seven or eight Greek places not including probably yeah probably including the um, takeaways and stuff like that so
1: I think as well the the Greek food that that I have here is, is it feels quite authentic yeah yeah it's probably not but I know what you mean I know what you mean. It feels that way at least. Whereas I think if you look at like Indian food in Germany, generally speaking, it's quite hard to find what what British people would consider a good curry. The the flavours are just sort of sort of eased in, isn't as spicy. And obviously we have a very macho ridiculous culture yeah. uh, with curry in, in the UK. Same with the alcohol and curry, you know. Gotta exactly. eat the hottest, gotta drink the most. We are very, very macho, don't you know? Um and so like, I, I like the fact that Greek food here doesn't feel like some sort of sterilized version of what we imagine Greek food is. And obviously a lot of Germans go on holiday to Greece. And so this is part of it, whereas not many Germans go on holiday to India. Or, Br- or British people for that matter, to be honest. I mean, there's there's loads of different versions of, of what
0: we'd consider Indian food. And initially, the restaurants would cater to the British taste, but as the taste has progressed it's more towards the spicy end i always find the curries in Mm. germany are good they're just not very spicy but then that always leads you into a kind of a troubling situation where it's a bit like russian roulette when you order a curry because there's no like standardized Mm. indicator for what is hot and what isn't so a few months ago i ordered a vindaloo which i'd never do in britain but i'd only do in germany because usually they're not Mm. that spicy and I'm, I don't think I, I'm still not right I <laughs> tried three months ago and I'm still not still not feeling 100% it was amazing don't get us wrong it was amazing it was a really good curry but it sort of blew my brains out really I was spitting fire for about a week afterwards
1: I've, I've only had two vindaloo's. one when I was 15 and sort of trying to be a rugby lad and the other one was here and mm. the difference between an English Vindaloo and a German one is, mm-hmm. is massive but yeah it's still a very dangerous game to play <laughs> uh, so yeah don't don't test your local curry house kids I mean
0: I t- I test it but like I, I, what I found is there was a there was a place that I used to go to in Fert that we went to a few times and the, the waiter once he realised I was an English speaker we got talking and he said that there's there's three ranges of curry that they'd make one was German which was the <laughs> the sort of the the mildest uh one was english which was sort of the medium and then there was the indian one that was just the hottest thing and he said which one do you want and i shamefully <laughs> opted for the british one because i was like i've <laughs> had i had i'd mates at school i've i've had i've had what my my mates whose parents who came from india considered a, a mild curry and it again <laughs> it's not as mild as you'd think it is but um yeah certainly it's uh it's a different it's a different ball game."
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean obviously genetics plays a part in this we, we have a, a friend of ours Stuart, uh, shout out Stu who's just a lunatic when it comes to hot food he can eat the hottest thing and it just doesn't affect him I'm sure he's a, a big, tough boy, um, but uh, at the same time, there there is something special. I know what it is. It's like uh, Homer Simpson in that Simpsons episode where he pours the candle
0: down his throat so he can eat the hottest chili at the chili contest. <laughs> That's what Stuart's doing. He's in the bathroom drinking candles, like layering his throat with <laughs> wax so that he can stuff himself with what essentially is nuclear waste. <laughs> like Once you get over to yeah. a
1: certain point of, of food hotness, you're essentially just damaging yourself horribly. I mean, every now and again they'll post a, a recipe or something they've made, and say they've used like five times as many chilies as the recipe required, and I mean that makes my eyes water a little bit just imagining doubling down on a recipe for a amount of chilies. But so uh, yeah. Kudos to them both. Uh, they're, they're far braver than I you am. You see
0: a lot more like shaft stuff now than you used to when I when I, when I I first came here. I feel like there's a lot more products that are a bit more spicy, a bit more edgy. Chili salami seems to be quite easy to get now and, mm-hmm. in a way it wasn't before and a lot of like uh, just chili variants of things, whether it's cheese or like gherkins or something, there's always like a mm. chili variant. Although I will say one of the most disappointing purchases is when I bought the hot... Uh, curry sauce from, I think it was Ravo or Edeka. Got it home and tried it, and I was like, it's not, it's not. You're, you're false advertising, I'm afraid. This is not sharf.
1: Yeah, this does happen a lot where you do have that sort of sharf exclamation. Um, but yeah, coming back to an- another very middle class thing a chili cornichon. Mmm. One of my favorites. Isn't it
0: interesting? I was avoiding saying the word "corner," Sean, because I was like, <laughs> "Well, first off, it'll sound funny when I say it, but second of all, it might it might sort of mark me out." I'm I'm am incredibly class conscious. I, I think I have an issue. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, 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 I painted myself into a corner. I'm already talking about Tarumuselizer sort of and Cornishons. Uh, yeah, you next. might as well go whole, whole hog. <laughs> yeah, next I'm going to start trying to get a barber sponsor uh, and then talk about uh, beating on a hunt.
0: I should I should just go to the further extreme and just go. I like pies. I like pies.
1: Next week on Two Decades from Home, Frey Bentos pies. <laughs> yeah.
0: this is my Frey Bentos pie. Yeah, I'm not explaining that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So all the way back in episode three, we looked at Tesla's Berlin battery factory and its impact on the environment around its location in, in Brandenburg. Construction has been continuing, as well as the, the the felling of woodland. But recently, the uh, Tagesspiegel had an article with an update on the, the current situation in Brandenburg with Tesla. So we thought we'd take another look at it. So this is an article from Tagesspiegel.de. Tesla erhält wohl Milliardenbetrag für Aufbau von Batteriefabrik. And this is uh, an article that's discussing uh, essentially a, a large financial investment from the state of Brandenburg that could be worth up to a billion euros, which is being put into the Tesla factory uh, construction site in order to build what I believe is a, a battery factory.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, sorry to have to correct you, it's actually five billion uh, this could go up. Five to. billion, really? Right, wow. So, yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. So a third of it would come from the state of Brandenburg and two-thirds of it from the federal government. This is a, a huge amount of money. So I
0: guess it leads to the question, like, wh- why are Brandenburg and the federal government handing over what could possibly end up being 5 billion euros to a company that supposedly has a revenue of 20 billion euros?
1: Why not just give it tax incentives? I mean, that seems to be the normal way that comp- that sort of regions states and nations normally handle this kind of thing i mean there was a really good example with amazon uh, a few years ago where they were going to set up their new central headquarters uh, and they basically advertised this as a competition uh, and cities and states all over the u.s advertised to amazon saying what they would do for them and the bottom line is always tax Mm. incentives uh, and massive tax cuts I think one place in Indiana offered to change their name to Amazon. Um, there was all this kind of stuff on top. Um, but of course, what any big company wants, whether it be Tesla Amazon or anyone, they want to not pay tax. So it does seem weird to sort of give this money mm. uh, or to basically invest in, in in a company like this. Obviously, we're no experts on the way that corporate investment occurs on this level. Um, but I imagine if Siemens uh, wanted to build a new power drive factory in the region, they wouldn't be getting this kind of offer uh, from the state and federal government. Well, I think a lot of
0: uh, a lot of different companies tend to rent their locations out. I'm not sure if they rent the factories out, but often they don't own the location where the factories build. Well, so there's, mm-hmm. there's an interesting, there's a couple of interesting things you were talking about. America and Amazon, and and, and Amazon obviously, they their process seems to be. Uh, to offer the opportunity of having an Amazon factory to a number of different states and then wait patiently as all those states debase themselves in front of Amazon in order to give them basically anything that they can get in order to create, because they're so desperate for jobs. They're so so desperate in certain instances to maintain political leadership because there's obviously a lot of benefits to be had if you're the politician that brings an Amazon or a Tesla to your city or your state. There's a really interesting This American Life about the introduction of a Foxconn factory into a a town, a small town in the US and basically it attracts the the discovery that they're going to build one through to the process of breaking ground and it's murky, the whole thing's just murky. They say one thing the politicians are saying this and it actually turns mm. out it's they're not getting the investment they expected. It turns out they're giving them loads of money to open factories. Just like a lot of incentives. And I don't know that that's the case with Tesla. I read an article this week that suggested that, that, that Tesla, or at least Elon Musk, is, is incredibly overvalued. And actually his value is really an estimate of his potential worth. Uh, like with lots of things in the financial markets, as we saw with GameStop but in this instance, it does feel a little bit like the state debasing itself in front of a very wealthy man. Just, I can't get away from that feeling that it's like that. I don't know how you feel. I mean, do you mm. feel like it's, it's, it's like that, or do you see
1: it as some sort of progress? Or Yeah, I, I think $5 billion is just such a, a mammoth investment, uh, and I'm, I'm certain that the state of Brandenburg has better things to spend the money on. Obviously, again, we we don't live anywhere near Berlin. We're on the other side of the country, um, but I'm sure you could build some really nice hospitals and some really nice schools. Uh, with this money that would gain more long-term benefits obviously this factory is massive for jobs in the area but this is a highly highly modernized factory that's going to be relying on automation Mm -hmm. far more than workers even though this is taking up a huge swathe of land there's not going to be that many people working there in comparison to yeah the volkswagen factory Which is, I guess, a similar size, but still has a little bit of old-school technology. I don't know. I I find it it sort of plays into the idea of like celebrity companies a little bit. I mean, Tesla is a company that's well-recognized as being sort of forward-looking, dynamic, modern. Maybe they could save the world somehow. Um, But this narrative, we don't know, as you say, we don't know how true it is yet. And Elon Musk isn't just a car manufacturer. He's a man with many fingers and many pies, whether it be drilling down into the planet or trying to get us to the next one. So it's kind of hard to imagine this company is going to be run with the focus that maybe other ones would be. So yeah, I, I, I'm not too comfortable That's with That's the
0: thing though, like Elon Musk casts a very long shadow, doesn't he? And it's kind of love him or hate him. He's got a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of people who think he's... he's... There's this weird trait and and I don't think I think it's a particularly it's it's a human trait. You see it in history all the time, like sort of these figures arise and they're or they're lauded and they're worthy people, but they're they're just like people but they're sort of elevated to a to a, a level of almost saintly virtue, you know. Elon Musk for some people can't do any wrong. Or he's Satan to others, you know. Same with Jeff Bezos, yeah. same with Steve Jobs was the same as well. There was a lot of there was a lot of praising of him. And I think it's I think he's, he's probably none of those things. It's obviously more complex. But it does make you wonder...
1: I mean, with those examples as well, how many of them have offered their followers on Twitter inside trading tips? I mean, I would be a massive fan of Elon Musk if I had jumped on his stock advice early <laughs> on, which he's done, what, four or five times now? He's done it to Tesla, uh, where he's, like, short, like announced dramatic stock changes. It's why he had to resign as chairman, is because he, he kept... Uh, he, he was just
0: seen as too volatile yeah. he did it with signal but, but he seems to enjoy that mm-hmm. yeah he's he's he, he is um very astute when it comes to social media but it just feels like all of that stuff is like personal like whether you like the way he approaches his life or what he invests his money in is one thing but i think the thing that got me was this is this is a separate article from the frankfurt Algemein. Which I looked up just in preparation, and it's talking about how well we talked in the episode three that he doesn't have a plan and permission yet for the factory, which isn't entirely abnormal in Germany, but that still is ongoing. Which is kind of like if you're serious, if you're a serious company, wouldn't you have done that already? Like what? 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 Like it doesn't. Like there doesn't seem to be much logic to it, and it's never explained. It's never explained. It just it's just sort of exists but the, the thing that gets is is actually the recruiting process they've gone through and and they've actually poached some some pretty important people from uh, mercedes and um, basically they, they accidentally posted or they, they, they posted the names of three people who are coming from daimler and um then they removed them very quickly from the website, which just seems like suspect, right? And then they've got, like, <laughs> apparently approaches made to other people. And the, the largest industrial workers' union, E.G. Um, Metall, or IG Metall, uh, is complaining because they believe that the, the former head of the Mercedes engine plant in Berlin, uh, Marienfelder, was, was basically poached. They've described it, I think they've used the word treason, which just seems a bit extreme. What contract did she have of its treason? Well, bas- basically, it's just saying it's it, they're breaking the norms of, of how we do things, which is one thing. And when you're breaking the norms of union, sort of regulation, that's like that's no small thing in Germany. The unions are actually quite mm. strong, and in a lot of ways, very beneficial for the employee, the average employee who's a part of one of those unions. It's no perfect world, but it's certainly there's a lot a lot more protections for for union employees than, say, if if you were working similar jobs in the UK. But also that uh, the the Tesla has so far not made any moves to pay the employees in the factory according to the tariffs that are set by the union. And that's, for me, like, it just says, like, what are we just, so you're going to give them all this money, you're not going to punish them when it comes to breaking tariff rules of the union, they don't have to do any planning permission, like how long, how many times does that have to add up before you go, like, why is this guy getting special treatment? Like what is mm. it like? It was so in love with, with Elon Musk that we're just basically just oh he's got so much money, he's such a genius. Let's just do oh, anything you want, Elon. And I'm kind of like, stop being such a bunch of suckers. Like th- at what point do you do you say no? Actually, you have to conform to the rules. You actually have to do these things. No, you can't do that. Oh no, you have to pay your workers the minimum wage. Oh no, you have to do like that's mm. what at the bottom. what I think of when I read stuff like that
1: yeah i mean the, the the transparency of the corporation is a bit of an issue and because it it sort of operates in this sort of same kind of of, of character as the sort of silicon valley uh companies where it's like don't worry brah mm. we'll tell you everything later it's all good man just chill obviously that's quite a, a a nice narrative for for the companies themselves because it takes away a lot of this pressure but the fact remains that as you say this the company is now operating in a major way in Germany and has to sort of align itself with regulations. But we see the effect of this. The article in Tagesspiegel actually says that the Ministry of Economics won't be tied down to a figure. And Tesla is not available for comment. I mean, the it's fact like that we are murky, talking about... so murky. Billions of dollars, mm-hmm. now, and the Ministry of Economics won't say how much, I think is 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 terrifying because this isn't a hypothetical factory anymore. This is being built. It will be built. So smoke and mirrors at this point is not going to be good for anyone's relationship with the factory. Locals in the area are going to see it as another example of putting the cart before the horse. We, we spoke in our, one of our most recent episodes about Berlin Airport and, and the, the financial waste that occurred there uh, through a lack of oversight. Um, now, I just used the phrase putting the cart before the horse, and so I did actually have to find out what the German oh, go on then. is. Uh pleased to announce this, Das Fährt beim Schwanz Aufzäumen, translates as, uh, back into English as to use the horse's tail as its bridle, uh, to steer it by its tail. Fair enough, that's good knowledge. There we go, <laughs> idioms with Simon and Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new
0: segment, baby. Yeah. No, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know, this is an ongoing story, so I think ultimately we'll not know, there's not going to be an end to it, but I do feel like it's probably... End with in the same way a lot of these stories end with uh, complaints of uh, the taking advantage of workers' rights. Like, we'll just see. Maybe, maybe I'm doing Elon Musk a disservice, but I just don't like I've said a million times before don't trust billionaires, don't trust giant billion, billion dollar companies, just don't believe they've got the best interests of people at heart. And also, I'm fully aware that there's plenty of companies in Germany who are spending a lot of money investing in AI, investing in automation technology. How long are those jobs gonna be there? Like you said, how long? What you got, five years? 10 years maybe, if we're lucky?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously this is the, the sort of the, the destination of the majority of jobs today is is an automated version of them. I um, mean, yeah, you and I have, have, have worked in language training for over a decade each. And yeah, the, we, we've seen that there is always going to be an industry for private language training, but the majority of people are going to shift towards learning through apps and through Is coming. So yeah, yeah, we need to, that's why we're doing a podcast, because <laughs> you can't automate this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: can't automate this podcast. But then again, I wouldn't put it past the German government to be able to find a way of taxing robots for their work, so... Uh, the the finance finance amt has a lot of ingenious ways of finding uh, money in your pocket. So <laughs> it might just be that we uh, we, we we're still in the same place we were, even though we have robot workers.
1: Well, I mean, if we end up in a sort of Andrew Yang type future where we're all paid to stay home and do nothing, I am down for that. That's not a problem for me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I like happiness. I'll, I'll take <laughs> I'll take that socialist money and run with it. <laughs> yeah, I like. I like being happy. I think I'll have some of that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> right. So staying ever so gently with the topic of financial success, uh, we have an article here from uh, faz.net uh, uh, where we have kein finderlohn for the Grabener Goldmünze. Uh, so here we have a story of a gardener Uh, who was uh, working on a contract to clear uh, a cemetery in a place called Dinklager. Uh, And whilst he was uh, going through his his hoeing activities, his Röldungsarbeit, I think that's hoeing, uh, the man found uh, multiple uh, gold coins and cash uh, in plastic containers buried in the ground. In total, he found seven of these containers with 450 gold coins uh, in different values and different sizes. And so this comes to a total of about half a million euros he found there. 500,000 euros found in a cemetery. This man was obviously feeling pretty good about himself. Now, in the title of the article, we have this word Finderlawn. So, uh, Finderlawn basically... Is finders keepers reward (laughs) Uh, so this is a a statutory requirement in Germany if you find something that is missing you return it to the authorities you wait six months and then you are entitled to an amount of it and this is statutory uh, given is five percent for objects up to 500 euros and if it goes over 500 euros then uh, it is three percent after that five hundred that means that this man was legally, he, well, he believed he was legally eligible to uh, to qualify for €15,000 uh, as his Finderlaunt, as his Finder's Keeper's reward. Pretty good, yeah? Yeah, it's weird that they found them in plastic tubs. Mm-hmm. 450 gold, this is something that doesn't add up. Maybe I'm just super suspicious. Well, I mean, you're right to be suspicious. I, I'll give you that. Because... The article continues to say uh, where this stuff came from, nobody knows. But the problem comes with the concept of alone means that it has to be something that is lost. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so he ended up having to go to the local court. They ruled against him. He then right. went to the Oberlandsgericht, the higher court, and they also ruled against him. Got it. Uh, and they said that basically this is not finding something that is lost is finding something that has been hidden and for that there is no finder lawn so if somebody has stashed their money and you find it you need to not report it to the police if you want to get your five percent you need to help yourself to that obviously that is breaking the law and not something our podcast recommends but yeah this guy has been screwed by the fact that these coins were put in plastic capsules if they were buried loose he would have got 15,000 euros. I mean,
0: it's the nature of courts to be pedantic. It's the point, right? So, but <laughs> like, it does feel like often German courts can be uh, so unnecessarily pedantic. But it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Like, they were put in plastic tubs for a reason. Uh, maybe if he just decided not to give them the plastic tubs and pretend he'd found it digging in the dirt. But then wouldn't he be grave robbing? <laughs> I, I was in a
1: graveyard and I found these gold coins in the dirt. Uh, can I keep them? maybe 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 they're not yours <laughs> this is yeah this is really uh, another very key part to this because yeah if graveyards aren't private property they belong to the, the sort of the local area the local councils etc so if he had stolen i guess they would have had a legal claim on that because it's on their property what we really have to learn here is that if something is hidden as opposed to lost uh, that is a key defining mm-hmm. factor in the concept of the so nick knowing what we know now uh, what would you do if you found a single buried gold coin? Uh, would you keep it or turn it over to the authorities? Time for self-incrimination. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm going to tell everyone about how I'll commit the most heinous of crimes. I guess I've, the first question is, is it, like, historical? You get it. Uh, no, because <laughs> it, like, it's, it's, I studied it. It's, like, a big part of my identity. I really love history. And if it's of historical significance, then I'm going to hand it in. Like, if it's... Like, I'd mm-hmm. rather do that than than not... Like, I hate the idea that this, the, the story itself reminded us of the story about... It's something called the Nebra Sky Disc. And it's basically a, a, a star chart that comes from the Bronze Age. It's one of the oldest examples mm-hmm. of, of, of a, a piece of art like it. And it was found in, in Nebra in Saxony anhalt And it was found, I think, in the 90s... No, it was early 2000s. It's a story about these two fellas who who were treasure hunters and metal detectors, and they found this disc. They, They attempted to illegally sell it and it's quite an interesting story because I think the, the, it was like the head of the museum created a sting operation where he's managed to catch them and they were arrested. Oh, wow. And uh, they reclaimed this 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 piece of human history. It's like, that's what it is. It's a valuable human mm. history. And I think if it's something that's valuable in that way, then you've got to hand it in. Like if, if you just said, I'm walking down the street and I found a gold bar, which is incredibly unlikely, but if it's just a gold, yeah, like <laughs> take it. But if it's a gold coin with the face of like Caesar on it, I'm probably going to do something a bit more
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the face of Caesar would make me think twice as well. It's a very stern man, you know. Don't want to get on his wrong side. Indeed. Indeed. Um. One of the thoughts I had when I was translating these idioms uh, and trying to think about how to how to deal with this article, I kept thinking to the phrase that we use in English: "finders keepers, losers weepers." <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and this is the, the, sort of the staple phrase that you would use. Obviously, it's a childish uh, phrase. Really, you learn it as a child, but you still hear it used by adults all the time. Or just abbreviated down to finders keepers. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if it makes it easier for English people and British people to just to 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 steal it because this phrase is cute, is sort of innocent sounding like, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, and doesn't have the gravitas of sterile German law, Finder's lawn. Yeah, do you, do you worry we're more, more likely?
0: <laughs> I think I think you've got a point. I'd, I'd agree with that as a theory. I, I, there's probably no data that we could collect, but it seems like if you create a cutesy rhyme for a crime, then it's probably going to be like seen as a little less extreme. I, I typed in Finders Keepers, did a cursory Google search, and I'm on the Wikipedia page, and it says, one of the most common uses of Finders Keepers involves shipwrecks. Under international maritime law for shipwrecks of a certain age, the original owner may have lost all claim to the cargo. Anyone who finds the wreck can then file a salvage claim on it and place uh, um, Mm -hmm. a lien, which I assume is some sort of claim on the vessel, um, subsequently mount a salvage operation. So I'm hoping when they hand in that document, they have to say, finders, keepers. (laughs) I mean,
1: what you described there is piracy. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you... you You know there is something on the bottom of the ocean because we have the technology to find these things Mm -hmm. now very easily. Mm -hmm. And then you send down an expedition. They go, oh, look what we found. And then you fill in a form saying we want to salvage it. And then the owner loses all rights. That that is legal piracy as far as I can see. But if
0: the owner of the ship was a Centurion from like 362, it probably doesn't really matter, does it? You're probably not... You're not stepping on any toes, really. And and as long as... And as if it's an archaeologist that finds it, it's not some kind of Lara Croft, Indiana Jones... Well, actually, no. Lara Croft and Indiana Jones would be perfectly fine finding these because they had the, the belief that everything should be shared with the, uh, the,
1: the people. It wasn't to be kept and hidden away. But, you know... I have a, a, I have a sinking feeling the majority of salvage firms do not operate in this way. You're though. probably right. You're probably right. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I, I imagine this is a money-driven mm-hmm. industry. I mean, obviously, you've mentioned detectorists, uh, people who go around with metal detectors uh-huh. searching for these things, and it is a really, really interesting niche. It seems to be primarily older men. Uh, I don't know of that many women that get into detector. detector- is it detectorism? I don't know what the name is for the activity. I'll,
0: I'll be honest you you've, you've gone off piste for me so I'll <laughs> I'll just go
1: I'll, I'll just follow your track. Yeah, let's say that's the detectorism. word. Detectorism. <laughs> okay, we'll call it detectorism. <laughs> uh, any complaints to uh, to Nick's account please. But this this is a problem that people go around. I mean obviously in England there are lots of historic places that are now fields. Uh, And so you do, every now and again, find these stories in newspapers of people that have found massive hauls of gold coins and whatever on land that they're allowed to claim on as well. If if you are really, really bored, uh, once the lockdown restrictions are are lifted, now's the time to invest in a metal detector and get out there and find your bullion. Well, it
0: seems like Germany's quite a... Like, it's got a lot of... neolithic sites and stuff like mm. that so there, there might be hordes of gold i mean the famous sort of hordes that you hear about are often in, in england where they're like the, the famous ones the i think it's the staffordshire Hoard. i think there's much there's much larger ones as well but basically just like somebody dug a hole and discovered thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds worth of ornaments and armor and coins and things like that but it's like I said, man. It's it's uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's that's owned by the state. Mm. I think anyone trying to make money off of that stuff. It's like when uh, billi- again b- billionaires, but like when but you hear about billionaires buying pieces of art that like there's some stuff that should be open to everyone to to see. You know, it shouldn't just be kept behind some some rich man's wall. Same for stuff like this. And there is a big market for black market historical artefacts. Mm. Uh, it's not just a sex machina for Indiana Jones movies. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, yeah, h- how many pieces of the cross uh, are found all over the world? How many nails uh, from Christ's mm. hands? This was a huge industry for, for the sorts of p- people grifting on the Christians. I think if you're still buying
0: pieces of the true cross in 2021, uh, you have much larger problems than... <laughs> <laughs> than you might imagine well, I mean
1: now we can buy like the handkerchief oh, of yeah, the Kardashians yeah. that's where the real money like, is I like guess. The, the sort <laughs> of uh,
0: fingernails of uh, Princess Catherine or something like that I don't know
1: I mean I, I don't want to make it I, I know that we've I've, I've been trying to avoid sexual oh, topics God. but I also know that there are a lot of people that have turned to only fans and like foot fetish websites to pay off their student debts in these trying times (laughs) how have we gone how have we gone from historical artifacts to only fans in less than what four minutes that yeah the twists and turns of decades of home (laughs) you're really you're really
0: you're really trying to lever in all the sexual references to see if you'll make me squirm aren't you this is just what this podcast is becoming it's just a chance to see if you can make me feel really uncomfortable should we talk (laughs) about this sexual topic nick (laughs)
1: It's not I in the plan. I, it's fine. I know it's not
0: even in the notes. You never said sex. Uh, anyway, yeah. Torture. We, See, episode we did, 10
1: Torture Nick. We did have an example to come back to this. I think it was last month there was a man found in the UK who was a detectorist and they raided his shed. <laughs> and he had, I, I think, £100,000 worth of, of fines. Fucking hell. Uh, that he hadn't reported. Uh, they were just like up on his shed wall. And yeah, I mean he didn't really appreciate what he'd done was as illegal as it is. And so yeah, I do feel a little bit bad. I for guess there's a bit there's a bit of ownership in there, isn't it? It is that it's very That's
0: much true, finders is it? keepers, it's sort of finders ringing around keepers. in your head. Yeah, you, I, I, think you're, I think your I think your idea is actually pretty accurate. Maybe it is easier for British people. I think when it comes to finding a tenor on the floor it's a bit different than from finding like the lar- the largest hoard of Anglo-Saxon mm. gold in Britain,
1: but <laughs> Okay, so here in our next article, uh, this is coming from uh, Spiegel.de and the headline is Neue Schalke gegen Altes Schalke. Uh, This is dealing with Schalke 04 and Schalke 04 are of course a Bundesliga team, currently in the Bundesliga um, and they are from Gelsenkirchen, uh, which is in Nord-Rhein-Westfalen and it is also the hometown of my wife and all my German family. Uh, so shout out to the Pavlaks uh, and the rest of the crew, uh, all Schalke 04 fans, uh, and this is also the German club that I have come uh, to support. When I first moved to Germany uh, and lived in Nuremberg, I dabbled with the notion of becoming a Nuremberg fan, a club fan, but somehow my wife was able to meet me and rescue me from that disastrous position. It is tough <laughs> being an FCM fan these days. Uh, so now I've uh, I've become a Koenigsblatt is it
0: any easier being a Schalke
1: fan at the moment it's not uh, I mean at the moment, the situation is really, really dire. Obviously, Nick and I are both football fans. Uh, we are English, uh, and this is part of our our, our history. And so, yeah, to, to be a Schalke fan is is not always easy. As much
0: as I sort of track German football, I'm no expert. I don't particularly have a German team. I like Augsburg. I keep track of their scores. I like Nuremberg. I keep track of their scores. Um, I like Dortmund, which is obviously a bone of contention between between between
1: Simon and that's I, a uh, I yeah, thought, that's a problem but I
0: thought I don't know a lot about football so, so give us a bit of background about Schalke Nullvier. Yeah.
1: so as I say Schalke are from Gelsenkirchen uh, Gelsenkirchen is historically the mining center uh, of German industry and it forms part of what can be called the Ruhrgebiet um, and the Ruhrgebiet includes a lot of football clubs it is it's the London of Germany insofar as density of football clubs Mm -hmm. so you have teams like Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, Borussia Dortmund who Nick has also mentioned uh, and then you have Schalke and then you also have teams like Duisburg um, Essen, uh, Rordweiss Essen there are hundreds and hundreds of clubs this being a traditionally working class sort of metropole there is a lot of football that is played in this and it is that is the sort of the life uh, blood of a lot of these towns is their football clubs they are reliant on each other and and the relationship is historic and my wife's family are full of stories that revolve around or connect to Schalke Uh, one of my wife's favorite stories about this is uh, her grandma who I think was in her 90s at the time Uh, my wife went to visit her uh, got into the house and saw a note on the fridge uh, that just said "Bin off Schalke. So her grandma had just mm-hmm. left the house and gone to the football. Uh, and I think that's something that's is sort of dying, especially in in England. my My family don't have that much of a football connection, but the idea of my grandma just like deciding to go to the game on a whim, it's unaffordable I think in the Premier League uh, whereas in the Bundesliga it's still relatively cost effective well yeah it's
0: certainly cheaper in the Bundesliga to watch a Bundesliga game than it is in the Premier League but I think there's still elements of that with further down the leagues in England um, and Scotland too The uh, it's obviously mm. cheaper for, for um, a third division game than it is for a Premier League game but I think there is something to be said for that there's, there's a more direct connection and it's observable in the stadiums in Germany direct connection between the team and the fans and whether that's mm-hmm. ultras which are the sort of seen as the extreme representatives of the club or well just in general like when you the game finishes the the players will go and and sort of celebrate the fans and 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 sometimes actively speak to them there's, there's, there's fan groups have a lot more power in German clubs but that connection between like the town and the club that you have not so much nowadays as, as Premier League teams become these sort of
1: billion pound investment vehicles. It still remains in Germany, right? Um, obviously, there is a huge amount of rivalry uh, between these clubs. They all hate each other. And this rivalry, this tribalism is, is a key identifying factor between the culture of these towns and cities. Uh, Dusseldorf uh, is very, very different from Gelsenkirchen. This is one of the things that Schalke did recently that I think really sort of brought it back to sort of their identity is that they redesigned their tunnel. Um, And it is, for me, the most amazing tunnel in the Bundesliga because it's designed to look like a mining shaft. So you have a a, a sort of a royal blue uh, carpet and then the walls and the roof look like a mining shaft and it is, it's oppressive dark and dank but oh my god what an atmosphere it's absolutely incredible But it it speaks to the history of the club
0: which is it's a big part of german football culture is the history of your club in a way that i think it's just not it's just not when you've got clubs that the, the scale of say manchester city like how many of the global fan base are thinking about Bert Troutman, you know, like how yeah. many of them are thinking of like sort of stellar names from the fifties and sixties, or we're thinking about it's, it's periods of Man City being in the lower divisions. It's, it's it... but uh, the, the question I was going to ask you though, was the article itself is, is discussing it's re- uh, the relationship between uh, Schalke Nulvia and it's, is it its owner or its largest investor? There's apparently some sort of issue between them, but like, yeah, what what what's, what's happening
1: there? So basically, Schalke, due to the ownership models that are used in Germany that are basically the polar opposite of what we have in the Premier League, generally speaking a club cannot be owned by one person uh, in Germany, whereas if you look at England, Chelsea are owned by Abramovich, the Russian oligarch, Man City are owned by the Saudi royal family Uh, Tottenham Hotspur are run by an investment company Uh, whereas in Germany you have the 50 plus 1 rule and so this means that fans uh, are pretty much always having an ownership uh, of their club in a very, very real way. The only club that really breaks this mould at the moment is Red Bull Leipzig or Sport Leipzig to use their full name, um, but they're sort of really hated and demonised in, in, in the Bundesliga and in Germany as a whole so generally speaking, fans especially ultras do have a very active say. They will be part of an annual general meeting they will have voting rights, they'll have a say for the future of their club just quickly for the, the, the notion of ultras, I think when we hear the word ultra, we kind of translate it in the direction of hooligan. And of course there is, there's a tangent there for sure. But generally speaking, these are guys who just, their life is football. They, they work jobs that they don't really enjoy. They live for the weekend and their weekend revolves around getting drunk, going to the football and having a good time. And from what I've seen and what I've experienced with them, it's, it's perfectly harmless fun. Like it's loud, it's abrasive, it's raucous, but it's not violent in the way that I consider hooligan culture to be. Uh, so I do think there is a difference between ultras and hooligans, and I, I just want to get that out there. Uh, Schalke are going to have an, an election, basically, to decide who is going to be on their board of directors and their board of executives. And one person they want to get rid of, the fans especially, is a man called Clemens Turnies. Uh, He's been uh, a member of the supervisory board of Schalke for 25 years and has frequently stepped in as a lender uh, in times of financial hardship for the club. Uh, he runs a meat processing uh, f- a company called Tunnies. Uh, fans and members have often criticized him because he sort of comes across as an entrepreneur exploiting the club's plight to, to make himself better. Is he off. actually made like significant amounts of money from the club? Is, he, is, it, is it the case? Like, what's what? Is it just like the advertising money that he's getting, or is it? Obviously, the advertising money is there, but he yeah, he charges interest on the money he loans to the club. This isn't a benevolent. Uh, sort of benefactor just giving five million interest free. Like he is making, he's making money. If he's making three percent, that's a, a pretty healthy return on an investment these days. So,
0: what's the issue with Tony's then? Why is it, why are all the
1: fans so upset with him? There are two things he's done that have been really problematic. The first one, he's he made some racist remarks uh, during a speech. That'll do it. That That's that, that's a pretty huge screw-up there. But then he also, um, his company Tunis, have been heavily involved in a major COVID outbreak, and this has led to huge parts of the Schalke Fear community voicing their concerns about him as a human being. Do they want someone like him involved in their club? Someone that is okay with making racist remarks and okay with putting his workers' lives at risk to ensure that he continues to make money. On top of that, they've also, because he's part of the supervisory board for a quarter of a century, they're also blaming him, he's in part to blame at least, for some of the bad decisions that have been made at the club. Schalke, 15 years ago, were a European staple. They were always in and around the Champions League or the Europa League spaces. Uh, These days, for the last 10 years, it's, it's been a downward turn. Uh, and things are looking pretty bleak at the moment and it seems like relegation is almost a certainty this season unless something pretty dramatic happens
0: I'm just reading this, this quote for this racist remark that from Tunis what he'd said was so apparently he told a crowd in, uh, of 1,500 people in Paderborn that instead of uh, raising taxes to fight climate change. Surprise, surprise! Rich man doesn't mm-hmm. like taxes. Um, it would be better to finance twenty power plants in the, a year in Africa. And this quote: uh, "Then the Africans would stop cutting down trees and they would stop making babies when it gets dark." Honestly, man, <sighs>
1: what an arsehole! Yeah, I mean, when I was when I was researching this, I kind of I I wasn't sure if I even wanted to talk about what he said because, yeah, it's it's just so disgusting. It's so such an old school mentality, and to say this out loud to a crowd, just shows a complete lack of understanding of the world as it is today. But
0: that's that's not just it. I mean, obviously, there's anger around, around from Sharker fans around around Tunney's uh, issues during COVID. But it's the fact that like the DFB end, ended their racism probe and said that attorneys had convincingly showed that he's not a racist. Like I don't know what the evidence is that you're not a racist. I would say saying racist things and feeling emboldened enough to say racist things in front of a crowd would be enough to suggest that you're a racist, but apparently that's not enough. So That's not enough.
1: Apparently you have to have hate in your heart at the same time or some bullshit. <sighs> Excuse of I didn't know. Apparently, is enough for the DFB and the FA. Oh, it's
0: not. It's not just Germany, like like racism in no, no. football.
1: Like the the story about Ian Wright.
0: It's not to go off on a tangent, but the story about Ian Wright and the the case with this teenager who racially abused him over a FIFA game. It's just the same stuff. It just seems incapable of managing it. Anyway, I'm going off topic, but I thought it was worth addressing and saying what he said. No, it's,
1: it's, it is. It's a vital part of the story. So what
0: happens now? What happens now? They, have they had to the vote or?
1: No, it's coming. Uh, they're still trying to work out how they do it because obviously with COVID they can't have a normal AGM. Uh, so they're going to have to do it uh, sort of cyber. Uh, one of the other things that happened is they also got a loan from the state of Nordra rabeswala So they got um, uh, 30 million euros to sort of guarantee their survival. So now the club have started turning uh, to alternate sources of finance, which is, of course, the first step of getting rid of your nasty sugar daddy is to find another sugar daddy, and if it's the state, I'm okay with that at the moment. Oh,
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure the taxpayer should be funding. Like I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's up to the state, and it's up to the taxpayers to vote for it, and so. But it does it does seem like a rather dodgy precedent to set.
1: I mean, I guess if if this is coming from the people of Gelsenkirchen, I'm sure they got zero problem with it. But if yeah, if, if this is from taxpayers from from Dortmund, uh, they're not going to be particularly happy uh, about helping out with this loan. But it is just a loan, Schalke will pay it back, Uh, it's not complete benevolence from the States. But at the moment the situation is really bad on the pitch as well as off it. Uh, So there were 30 games in a row without a win for Schalke. Um, Things on the pitch have slowly improved and now they've managed to get their first win and a draw. And one of the things that I love about this story is the sort of the fairy tale characters that are appearing. So we have Klaus-Jan Huntelaar. Um, so Klaus jan Huntela is a Dutch footballer who is a Schalke legend uh, he played for uh, Schalke for nearly a decade scored a lot of goals and was their main threat he's now 37 uh, so he's older than we are uh, I love it I love it so he's not no he's the same age as me he's the same age as Nick I am younger than Klaus yeah. jan Huntela. Um, and he's doing well and he's back he's going to try and rescue the club uh so i mean nick do you think a 37 year old dutchman can save schalke from relegation i mean maybe
0: why not most football fans love an obscure story or like the story of redemption from a from a former legend or like yeah just it's nice so who else is there
1: any other exciting characters that we should be aware of in this story one of the other characters we get, who might be returning to sort of rescue the club, uh, is a man called Peter Peters, which is just a joyous name for a podcast like ours. Peter Peters, and Peter Peters was part of the club for uh, nearly three decades, and he was the CFO. He was the Finanzvorstand for Schalke, and he left because he sort of saw a, a sort of a nice route for his career. Uh, he's expecting to be uh, nominated as part of FIFA and he's also uh, entering into the board of the Deutsche Fußball Liga, the DFL, and the Deutsche Fußball Bund, the DFB. Uh, so this is a man who has gone from the CFO of a, of a large club, an historic club, but now is really operating at the highest level of football on FIFA, the DFB and the DFL. But, I mean, this is sort of the story. You've got a guy who's been there for 30 years, a guy has been there for 25 years, they hate each other, and they're both trying to sort of vie for power over the club. There is one other direction that's being offered, uh, and that is through a man called Axel Heifer. Axel Heifer is the head of Trivago, uh, the travel comparison site. Uh, so those are basically the three choices that uh, that Schalke have as a club. Do they want to liberate themselves from Tunis completely? And if so, are they going to go back to the loving embrace of Peter Peters, or are they going to try something new with someone who's internet savvy, sort of more future-looking, and someone like Axel Heifel?
0: Well, I guess I guess we'll just have to come back and 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 report on this. The vote isn't isn't it for for a little bit at least. So uh, expect an update on Schalke. Hopefully things will improve, but. uh I'm not uh, looking at the table. Uh, the quick quick Google search of the Bundesliga table doesn't doesn't isn't good viewing if you're a Schalke Novia fan. But uh, yeah, certainly one, certainly a sort to keep an eye on. People know Schalke is a German team, a famous German team. To see them in this sort of level of dire straits is certainly sad. But yeah, and good luck
1: to them, I guess. Uh. Yeah, come on, Schalke. She's on tour for uns. <laughs> From
0: uh, despotic football owners, we're moving on to perhaps a despotic landlord. Uh, this is a story from Spiegel.de Escalier Streit im Gerolstein, Vermieter Haus teilweise ab, während Mieter noch drin ist. And this is a story about a, a dispute between a landlord and his tenant that has somehow become rather critical since the landlord has decided to start dismantling the tenant's home with him still in it. It the the article yeah. itself has a, quite an extreme picture of a basically a half caved in roof of a house. Apparently, this the landlord turned up with a uh, some kind of um, earth mover or some kind of demolition equipment and just set to work destroying this house.
1: <laughs> in fairness to him, he didn't turn up in it. He hired someone. They turned up in it. They started doing some work on his land, <laughs> and then he demanded to take control of it. <gasps> Uh, and at that point, he started attacking his own property. So yeah, this excavator turned up on his property, and he basically took control of it uh, from the hired driver. Um, so he wasn't supposed <laughs> yeah, to be. Yeah. And the doing guy, this.
0: the guy, the guy with the excavator was hired to do some dredging work on the property, and it was basically, and you can see the image, like the 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 the, the guy with the the excavator bends down to tie his shoelace and then suddenly the the landlord's in the cabin of the excavator demolishing his house. Uh, it seems a rather extreme step to take. Any idea why the landlord decided to demolish his tenant's home or at least his own property? So,
1: so far, so far the, the cause of the argument itself isn't clear. Spiegel haven't found that out yet. They do know a little bit more about the history of the ownership. So the guy bought the house uh, in July of last year. Uh, So he's only been the owner of the property for six months. Uh, Well, no, eight months. Uh, So this is a pretty new thing. So I'm assuming from that that he must have bought the house and received the tenant as part of the property. And then he would have said to the tenant, I am now the new owner and I want you to move out. And the tenant is within their rights to to refuse to do so depending on the contract they have with the previous owner. So I assume... That this is his, his tactic was to try and get the tenant out so he could live in the property we also know that after July uh, there have been multiple times where the police have been called to the property now again we don't know what the reason is maybe this tenant is a bad tenant and they've been loud and abrasive to the local neighbors maybe there have been reports of criminal activity at the property but there have been charges uh, made against the the owner and also there have been multiple claims from neighbors so we're not really too sure. There is a comment. What a what a nightmare. What a nightmare. There is a comment that this uh, the owner is known uh to the neighborhood. So yeah, this this guy it seems that he's just a complete asshole. Have you
0: have you uh, your own personal experience with terrible landlords? How have you found it here? Have you found it generally to
1: be okay or Generally speaking, I found it to be okay. I've had we've had problems with neighbours and that's something we're dealing with at the moment and so we are currently in spite of the pandemic trying to relocate and, and find a new house but our relationship with our landlord is actually really good the problem is that we've got a property manager in between and they are not very effective at their job but yeah our land the owners of our house really like us uh, and we actually ended up taking two cats off them because the cats needed a new home so yeah the relationship is good but yeah i mean it's it's never been this bad luckily we've never suffered our house being demolished while we're sitting in the living room like this poor gentleman (laughs) this is a huge coup i mean there is this legal benefit in germany that there is legislation about when you're allowed to be noisy and there is a lot of it uh there are time restrictions on certain activities like washing machines. City ordinances. Exactly. Yeah. Uh so this is sort of the, the nice thing. Like when our neighbour is being incredibly loud uh and inconsiderate, it she is breaking the law and we're able There's to a mechanism right and mm-hmm. rely on that and just say this is unacceptable because of this law and then you kind of separate yourself from like I'm just being a a, a sort of dickish neighbour whereas I think in the UK if you've got a problem neighbour you have to negotiate with them that's literally your only choice and if they are unwilling to do so then you have no choice but to to move or to invest in very good sound cancelling headphones. You can become like the the nuisance to the police
0: because you're constantly complaining about your neighbours but I mean yeah obviously sometimes the the, the ordinances in in, in various parts of Germany can be uh, a a bugbear. There's always the rumour that you can't hoover on a Sunday which I've never really seen but certainly here in, in augsburg you, you can't uh cut the grass on a sunday that's 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 a, a, a definite ordinance but you can you can hoover and most of the, you can vacuum clean and stuff like that but noise is severely regulated power
1: tools after 8 p.m yeah, yeah. i
0: like but i like those regulations it keeps everything straight and you know at least then y you, you've you're within your rights to demand some peace you know exactly uh, it's regulated
1: yeah and I mean, good good times. over this period, I mean, Christmas was sort of where it all went really, really wrong with our neighbor, and i I was here on my own, uh, my wife was with her family, and like I, I ended up after three days feeling like an absolute victim, like I felt mm. genuinely terrorized uh, by this family, and so yeah i I'm very, very sympathetic to people now, uh, much more than I would have been a couple of years ago when it comes to noisy neighbours it is it can be a, a massive cause of stress and anxiety
0: it speaks volumes for the type of person you are that you didn't go out rent an excavator and demolish the walls of that person's apart your neighbour's apartment so uh, you should be
1: given some kudos for the patience with which you <laughs> in fairness on if i owned if i owned the house on the 26th of december i might have gone that far <laughs> <laughs>
0: thank you for listening to decades from home as ever we really appreciate that you have decided to download and stick our stupid voices in your ears Um, i want to make a couple of announcements the first announcement is uh listeners to previous episodes may have noticed that we've changed the days which we upload the podcast we're uploading on saturdays now simply because it's the process of editing uh the process of having lives is conflicting and we're trying to to manage that so we're trying to keep it stable on a saturday so keep keep an eye out for the podcast on Saturdays rather than fridays from now on uh the second thing i wanted to mention was yeah the results of the poll we, we asked the audience on twitter whether you would be interested in hearing some of the more choice uh, mistakes that certainly i make or even simon sometimes occasionally makes in pronouncing the titles for the articles we're going to start trying to do that uh, uh, going forward so um at the end of the episode have a listen out for for one of the uh the, the bloopers from a previous episode but as ever you can you can give us feedback and reach out to us and let us know how you th- what you think about the podcast or if you have questions or perhaps an article that you think might be worth us discussing you can reach simon on at decades from home on twitter and you can reach myself on at 40 german both available most of the time please don't be a stranger you can also uh, email us on 40% at gmail.com uh, we've had a few emails we had a few last week um, again lovely to hear from the audience lovely to hear what you think and what what ideas you have for for, for us going into the uh, the double digits of our episode or episode lists um, whoop whoop indeed uh, yeah and uh, finally you can uh, you can catch the blog on 40percentgerman.com uh, every saturday there's usually a new article where the aim is to be as regular uh, as possible and 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 I guess I guess we're trying to reach the the uh, one article a week margin, but it is it's tricky. So, uh, but there's always new content on there. So take take a look if you get a chance. And all that's left to say is thanks again, and talk to you all next week. Bye bye. Okay. Right, so I'll just introduce it and then you just run with it because I'm probably okay. not as, as well-versed on it. Anyway, let's try and say the fucking thing first. Uh, okay. Escaliert Strite in Gerolstein. Vermieterreist House, teilweiser ab. Verundmieter noch Drinist.
1: drinist.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think you can edit that. <laughs> yeah, I can edit that. That's no problem.
1: Okay, cool.